Welcome to Humanities by Humans, a podcast which features all aspects of the humanities from ancient to our everyday lives. I'm your host, Dr. Amanda Burbage, and among many things, I teach humanities at Tidewater Community College. Each episode features a student voice. In this episode, you'll hear from William. He is a student at TCC and an avid exotic animal keeper. Hello listeners, my name is William Wainwright and welcome to the podcast. Here with me today is my good friend Thomas Campbell. Say hi Thomas. Hello. Now, today Thomas and I are going to be uh, discussing a hobby that we both share, um, that being exotic animal keeping, and how we have used critical uh, and creative thinking in the past to solve some of the issues that we have faced uh, in keeping exotic animals. So. Uh, because, you know, naturally when you're keeping potentially dangerous or hard to care for animals, there are going to be times where your ability to think on the fly can save you a lot of time and potential misfortune. So, Thomas, why don't you start us, start us off by introducing yourself and also giving everyone a brief explanation as to what we mean when we say exotic animal keeping. That sounds great. So, uh, my name is Thomas Campbell and I'm a junior at George Mason University. And um, really, when it comes to exotic animal keeping, it's more than just having, you know, something more than a hamster or a dog or a cat in some cage. It's about having an animal that typically would not thrive under human care and providing them with an environment that they will thrive and they will grow and change in. And typically, um, every good exotic keeper even changes the environment they keep their animal in throughout the time that they keep them. Just to, you know, keep them busy, keep them happy, and keep them feeling like they're moving around in the world and migrating. Yep, that's that's a good way to put it. Um, and again, we, we keep potentially dangerous and obscure and, you know, potentially hard to care for animals, uh, you know, for fun. Um, and in, in the modern era, we do have the benefit of having resources like the internet to aid us with, you know, any potential problems we might have caring for these uh, exotic animals because there are you know a vast array of resources online on forums and discussion boards and studies and stuff but um when we're talking about exotic animals sometimes there isn't information and even if there is sometimes um in some circumstances like the situations thomas and i are about to discuss there might not even be time to spend hours researching this stuff uh, something to keep in mind is that we're not just keeping exotic animals uh you know to look at them uh, we're keeping them, and also, like like Thomas said, giving them the best life possible. So, sometimes when things happen, you just have to use the information you have on hand to make a educated decision, because there isn't any time to uh, look stuff up and find any alternative solutions. So, keeping that train of thought in mind, Thomas, are there any situations you can think of where, in the past, you had to use critical thinking to solve a problem relating to one of your exotic animals? For sure. Um, the first one that comes to like my mind right away is a Cuban night animal I had before I moved away to college. And uh, I had it, I got it my senior year. And it's, when I originally got it, I got it from the local exotic shop. And it turned out I had kept it in an enclosure that was much too small. 
and I didn't really know his requirements as I got it because I had done some research beforehand, but it was sort of, um, you know, they were trying to get rid of it. And so I sort of picked it up because it was on like heavy discount. It was sort of a spur of the moment thing. Yeah. And um, so I got home, put it in its enclosure. And then, of course, uh, they turn brown when they're not happy. And so I was like, wow, he's really brown and uh, did some more research and then ended up looking into buying him an enclosure and then decided that I would make him a custom enclosure. And once I made him that custom enclosure, I got that all squared away, it took a couple weeks. And then, um, so that was sort of my first bit of critical thinking, I think I would say is sort of uh, building him that custom enclosure and doing the research I needed to make sure it was all good with him because he was more arboreal than terrestrial. So it was yep. vertically based. Yep. And um, um, making making custom enclosures is something that is kind of almost a necessity in a way for exotic animal keeping because Especially uh, on your larger side of things. Yeah, mo most pre-made enclosures don't come necessarily how you'd want them because companies usually make them for like a wide array of animals. So, like in, in an Anoles case, they are yeah they're more arboreal, so more like tree-like and stuff. So maybe something more vertically inclined. So mm -hmm. a lot of companies don't make uh, enclosures like that off the bat. So, anyways, what were you saying? Uh yeah, so it so atop of building that enclosure and getting that all squared away for him. When I moved away to school, I had to, uh, I made an agreement with my parents that they would keep my ball python, but not any of my other reptiles, because my ball python is like my child. Yes. And um, so when I had to, I had to get rid of Samson, and so I was giving him to a family friend, and, uh, but they couldn't take the enclosure because uh, one, I wanted to keep it so I could get a few more pictures of it and keep it in the garage to maybe have it later. Yep. And then also so I could get them a nicer, newer enclosure so that they could just put it on their dresser and not have to worry about it. So I ended up building them, um, well, assembling them a nice, like, Exoterra brand nice, enclosure nice. with a ton of, you know, like, what whatever I could get for it. And um, the big critical thinking moment there was moving him to the new enclosure because he is not the kind of lizard you touch. They are... Uh, they are angry. Feisty. Yeah, they're feisty. They are angry beasts, and they definitely... Um, if they bite you, they, they'll send you to the hospital. You'll need stitches. And um, they can also drop their tails. And so when I was moving him, I was doing a bunch of research on the best way to move him. And he was not receptive to, like, food incentives and stuff like that. And so I had to just put on some leather gloves and hope. And I ended up yeah. grabbing him. And um, I had to grab him and just make the move quick. And I ended up getting it done. But it was definitely a sort of a moment to try and figure out what it was, what the best way to go about it was. Um, but it was definitely interesting. It was definitely new. Yep, and that's a good that's a good example of you don't have a lot of time to uh, you know sit there and research this stuff. And that's another good example of you know even if you can, there's there's only not so many ways you can move a reptile. I mean, you just kind of have to figure mm -hmm. it out, and so you know get it done. And um, you know that, now that you're talking about making a custom enclosure, I have something that's somewhat similar in a way. When I first got my first leopard gecko. Uh, she's an adult female, and like you, I had done my research prior, and I had most of the stuff figured out, and I had a you know decent enclosure set up. Um, but what the pet store didn't tell me is that she was pregnant, so they they sold a adult female leopard leopard gecko to a inexperienced reptile keeper. Uh, I'm not sure if they knew she was pregnant or not, but either way, they did they did sell me a pregnant leopard gecko, and so I got her in, and she you know she had all the accoutrements and everything. Uh, and she was doing great for a few weeks. She started eating. And then one day I come back, uh, I come home and I open her cage to feed her. And lo and behold, there are two eggs inside of her cage. So uh, 
you know, being an opportunist, I didn't want to miss out on free animals. So I decided, you know, I'm going to make a homemade incubator and I'm going to put these eggs in the incubator. I'm going to find a way to give them proper heat and humidity uh, to, you know, properly raise them so they're not deformed or anything. And uh, mm -hmm. I just did it on the fly. I didn't, you, I mean, as soon as they're laid, the clock starts ticking. You don't really have a lot of time to sit there and spend days researching. So I just made a homemade incubator out of some Tupperware and... For the heat, I didn't have I didn't have any money to get a new heat mat, so what I did was I just put um I just put her uh, the eggs in the enclosure with her on her near her heat source, and so they got heat that way. And it's it's things like the like Thomas mentioned the enclosure, making enclosures, uh, and also things like I just mentioned the incubator, where you know you might not be able to name a specific example off the top of your head, but in any hobby, when something comes up, you just you just have to be there you have to have the information you just have to make an educated guess and, and you hope you uh what you what you come up with is suitable and it just goes to show that you know no matter any hobby really it's uh critical and creative thinking are two very important traits to have as an individual so definitely um and you know on that note that seems like a good place in the podcast we talked about some situations where critical and creative thinking helped us in our particular hobby that we share which is you know keeping exotic animals and again i would like to thank thomas for coming on to share some of his experiences with us so thank you thomas not a problem and um i hope everyone listening enjoyed this discussion and maybe learned something new and interesting about exotic exotic animal care and um also got an idea as to how critical and creative thinking can be found in any hobby and be useful in any any hobby or line of work or profession Wow, exotic animal keeping is not necessarily a hobby for me, but it's clear that William and Thomas love what they do and use a lot of critical and creative thinking. Listeners, if you liked today's episode, take a look at the resources mentioned. They're linked in the show notes. The Humanities by Humans theme song is composed by Joseph Day. A special thanks to all of today's contributors. We hope you'll tune in to the next episode of Humanities by Humans, where we study human culture and contribute to it too.